Hi, I'm Philip Santillan, pastor of Clarity Church, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen or view this podcast of a message from one of our Sunday gatherings. Before we get going here, I just wanted to communicate to you the deep conviction we have regarding this message. This free message resource is not intended as a broadcast ministry, which would create virtual attenders listening from home rather than getting involved in their local church. We hope that no matter where you are on your faith journey, that this podcast is only supplemental to your relationship with the Lord and in no way replaces the local church that you should be plugged into or the pastor God has put over your life to lead you and care for your soul. So please enjoy this incomplete portion of this past week's gathering. We have prayed that God would use it in a profound way in your life and that from it, you would gain clarity on who Christ is. First, I want to talk about success. Success is a funny thing. Success is often measured in many different ways. And how you get to success is often very, uh, there's a lot of different opinions on it, right? Success in life. Uh, one of the things I've learned now in, in my life, I'm not, I'm not too old, so I, I can't be a curmudgeon on, on the way things are, but I'm old enough to have been around and know how, how things go. And here's what I've learned. Success is often determined by your ability to know when doing what seems like the obvious thing to do is absolutely the wrong thing to do. And it's, it really, it's the ability to understand what, we, what I'm going to call counterintuitive truths. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Counterintuitive truths, right? Uh, one, of the, one of the counterintuitive truths that's, that's really, uh, that really struck me because I'm always wanting more energy because, you know, I never have enough of it, right? And those of you know me. Anyways, but listen, if you want more energy and you feel like you're lacking energy, what do, what do doctors tell you you should do? If you're lacking energy, what should you do? Spend more energy, right? Now that seems kind of counterintuitive. Man, if I'm just lacking energy, I should just probably sleep some more, right? No, actually what you need to do if you want more energy is you should actually expend more energy. It's a counterintuitive truth. You know it, I know it. Some of you had to learn the hard way. And so uh, also anyone, anyone here play golf? Play golf, try to play golf, would like to play golf someday, watch golf. Do you hate golf? Do you not care about golf? Okay, that should be everyone here. All right. Um, <clears throat> so at one time I lived in Florida and, and uh, I tried to fit in with everybody. So everybody golfs in Florida. I'm a terrible golfer. Uh, in fact, when I go golfing, I buy the whole 12 pack of balls because I will use them all in the course of nine holes. Uh, but anyways, uh, one of the things that they were trying to tell me that I wasn't getting is that in order to hit a ball farther, it's actually counterintuitive. You would think that in order to hit a ball farther, you would grip that bad boy tighter and you would swing what? Harder, right? In fact, but if those of you are any good at golf, you know that swinging the ball farther has nothing to do with, how, with, with grabbing it tighter and swinging harder. In fact, they say you actually want to relax your grip, right? And don't swing harder, but swing... Huh? Smarter? Well, okay, so we don't have any golf people here. <laughs> you don't swing harder, you swing faster, right? Okay, so you don't swing harder, you swing faster, so it seems counterintuitive, a lot of these things. Why wouldn't I grip it? You know, I'm gonna, right? So it's counterintuitive. Uh, uh, anyone here ever been a lifeguard? Everyone been a lifeguard? Uh, Want to be a lifeguard? Has known a lifeguard? Has seen a lifeguard? Okay, thank you. Goodness gracious. No participation. Everybody fails. All right. So 
if, if you know lifeguards, right, when they te- train lifeguards to go save a person, uh, they train them and they tell them that if you're going out to save someone who's drowning and they start grabbing at you and, and you know, pulling you down, what do you, you, know, you kind of want to do if they're pulling you down? You want to kind of swim harder and swim faster, right? But what do they tell you to do? Does anybody know? What? Relax? Ease up. Ease up. Or they actually tell you to dive, right? Because what happens when someone's trying to grab you and they're, they're drowning and you're trying to save them and they grab you and pulling you and all of a sudden they, you dive, what are they going to do? They're going to let go, right? Because you're trying to get them to relax. And uh, actually I was asking someone about this and they said, yeah, one instructor told us to punch them and knock them out. <laughs> if, they, if they just... So anyways, that's really counterintuitive. I'm going to save you. Bop! Uh, so anyways... In fact, it's these counterintuitive truths that are what separate the master from the novice, right? And, and the question is, how do you learn these counterintuitive truths? Well, you either learn from someone who's a master or you learn from experience. And it's only by experience you learn that what you want to do is not what you should do. If any of you have ever been a teenager, you know exactly what that kind of life is like. Well, I want to do it. I want to do it. Oh, man, I shouldn't have done it. (laughs) Sums up the teenage life. And experienced people are wise because they've experienced a lot of things. I mean, to be quite frank, after a while of doing a lot of dumb things, you just kind of realize what are the right things, and you stop doing things the wrong way, right? I mean, some of you, you had no wisdom in your life, and you weren't smarter than a bucket full of nails, but you are old, and you've done a lot of stuff that's wrong, and you finally said, you know, this is probably not what I should do. And so you learn these things, right? You had to learn the hard way. But here's, here's, the, here's the thing. How can you live a life understanding maybe counterintuitive truths? If they don't come naturally to you, how can you gain them and not have to go through the pain of learning these lessons on your own. Well, you have to learn from a master, right? And here's the good news. You don't have to wait to make a lot of mistakes to be wise. You don't have to make a lot of mistakes to live a life that you would call blessed. There is a master who has already experienced all we could experience. And if we take time to listen, we too could live a life that we could call blessed. So Jesus is this master who understands counterintuitive truths. That's why he often used truths like these in his teachings. He said things like this. One, he said this. Last is first, right? Last is first. He also said what? Giving is receiving. He said dying is living. He said losing is finding. Least is the greatest. Poor is weak is serving is ruling, right? So Jesus often said these kind of things, these counterintuitive truths, because he was a master at understanding these truths. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that if we would take the time to understand what Jesus, the master teacher, has to say about what it means to live a blessed life, we won't have to suffer the consequences of doing what we think is right, but in the end is absolutely wrong. So, That's why, in part, we have decided to do this series through what is popularly known known as the Beatitudes and or otherwise known as the beginning to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you want to join us? 
I'm going to try not to lose my voice in the span of this, but if I do, that just means a shorter message for you. Way, there you go. So stop praying for my voice to go out. <clears throat> but Matthew chapter 5, we're just going to start. We're going to read here today. We're going to be in a lot of scripture today. So, um, and, and I'm just really excited because we're going to learn a lot about Jesus. Because really, when you want to understand what Jesus is about to say here, you just kind of have to look to the person who said it in order to understand it. And so uh, if, if you don't uh, believe everything you've heard about the Bible and who Jesus is, uh, look, I'm not asking you to believe all this about who Jesus is, but I, what I'm asking you to do is just to entertain uh, this idea that Jesus might actually have your best interest in mind. Because here's the truth. You don't have your best interest in mind. When was the last time you did something you knew it was stupid? Hey, we've all done it, right? So what does that mean? We don't have our best interest in mind. And so I think Jesus does, and he teaches us, and he tells us how we can live a life with our best interest in mind. And so uh, what we've done in the past couple of weeks, I'm going to do again. We're going to begin by reading our passage. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to explain it. I'll just be really honest. I'm going to try to explain it. It'll almost be scholastically, uh, but I think it's really important because if we try to read this in our 21st century context, we can really misunderstand what Jesus says. So I'm going to take some time to help us understand it. And then I'm going to wrap it up in the end. I'm going to try to explain for us, maybe from a pastor's heart, say, hey, if you call Clarity home, this would be the encouragement for you as we try to live out what Jesus is saying. And if you're not someone who follows Christ, or maybe you're visiting for the first time, or you're just a little skeptical about the Bible, I I want to create a vision, a picture of what it would look like for the people of God to act like as if though they were part of God's kingdom. Does that sound like a plan? Is it okay? All right, good. Can you still understand me? All right, you're good? All right. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. Starting back at the beginning of where we're at, and we'll end where we want to start today. So it says this, Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Jesus, I think of all the other Beatitudes that we're going to be talking about. Um, this is the hardest one to stomach as of yet. Because I know who I am, and I know how we as human beings are wired. Meekness is not within us, but it comes from you. And so we pray as we study this, Uh, you would teach us what it means to be the meek who inherit the earth. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, first, (coughs) hold on. To understand what Jesus meant, we first have to understand what Jesus was trying to say. Meek, the word meek, is 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 a is a is a phrase is a is praos or pray or praus does not mean weak meek does not mean weak sometimes people think meek you know if they think meek they think like oh you know you're the meek person uh, meek does not mean weak okay so and I want you to pay attention real quick because this is really important I, I think for the understanding things will click I don't know if you knew this but the Bible wasn't written in English it also wasn't written in uh, you know 1611 King James uh, contrary to some people's belief. Um, so it was written in, in Greek. And so this is the Greek word. The two Greek words that kind of play back and forth, uh, praise and then praos, okay, they, they both mean meekness. They actually sometimes translate as humility. 
In fact, Strong's Concordance, if you're a person who's interested in studying the Bible, I would encourage you to pick up what's called Strong's Concordance. And it has a, uh, it gives you a kind of a word-by-word understanding. If you want to kind of grip, if you're, if you're wondering where we're getting this information, Strong's Concordance is what a lot of people who have sought to understand the Bible for many, many years have turned to. And here's what Strong's Concordance says about this word meek. It's really interesting. It'll help us understand really quickly. It says this, Meekness towards God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good. See, it's not, it's already, I think for some of you, like, oh, that's not what I thought. And therefore, without disputing or resisting, in the Old Testament, OT, that's what that means, the meek are those who wholly rely on God rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. Listen, They rely on God, rather their own strength, to defend against injustice. You need to hear that. Thus, meekness towards evil people means knowing God is permitting injury. They inflict that he's using them to purify his elect, and they will deliver his elect in time. And if for some of you who are Arminius, that rubs you the wrong way, trust me, I'm more in your camp than what you think I am. So don't think I'm saying this because I'm super Calvinist and or not. And if you're super Calvinist, well, welcome. I think you like me now. Gentleness or meekness is the opposite to a self-assertiveness and self-interest. Strong goes on to say it stems from trust in God's goodness and control over the situation. The gentle person is not occupied with self at all. This is a work of the Holy Spirit, not of human will. So what I'm going to do here in the, in the next few moments is really kind of break down this idea of what is meek so we can understand it. And the first thing you need to understand is that meek, meek is not weak, right? But meek is the strength to be selfless. Meek is the strength, the strength, because it requires strength, doesn't it? It requires strength to be selfless. I don't know about you, but it is hard to be selfless because I like me. And I like me more than I like you. <laughs> and so it's hard to be selfless. And there's a, person, there's a person who is more selfless than anyone, and there's no one more meek than Jesus. In fact, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, when he spoke about Jesus, when he tried to help people understand how we should live our life, he was talking to a bunch of believers, and he's trying to say, look, look, you guys aren't acting like Jesus. Look, oh, here, let me tell you. Let me tell you how you should, here, let me tell you. And he writes this letter in Philippians 2, verse 5 to 11. He goes, look, Look, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here, we, if you didn't catch this, here we go. We have Paul explaining, look, here's, here's Jesus, uh, God in a bod, right? Made flesh, dwelt among us. He was God, but he came low, Right? And then what happened because he came low? God did what to him? Raised him up. He raised him up. Okay, so God came up and God raised him up. Sound familiar? Sound, this is reasoning. Yeah, Paul learned from the teachings of Jesus. 
that there are these counterintuitive truths of what it means to be blessed, what it means to be someone who is part of the kingdom of God. And at the heart of meekness is an engaged commitment to forgiveness and restoration. That's the second thing. At the heart of meekness is an engaged commitment to forgiveness and restoration. What I want us to do is to look at another, uh, just like in, in the English language, there are different uh, forms, noun forms. So the, there's another noun form of this word, preos, uh, which is um, preatus or preates, preates or something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm not super fluent in Greek. But, uh, and it says this in these verses, and I, I put it in the verses so you can understand. Let's just look at what the, the scripture teaches about this kind of meekness. In Galatians 6 verse 1, some of you remember this. We, we talked about this in, in regards to what does it mean to be the church. What, what does it mean to be the church? And this is what the church looks like. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should, and then I put this in parentheses, gently and humbly. It's actually just one word. It's this word, preatase, okay? Be patient with each other. Oh, no, uh, uh, help that person back into the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation as you. And so this idea of meekness is tied directly into restoration and and even this idea of forgiveness. Uh, For instance, in Ephesians 2, it says this, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making what? allowances for each other's faults because of your love. So the heart of meekness is a, is a desire, is this, is this heart to be engaged and committed to forgiveness and restoration and forbearance. This idea of allowing. So this is what meekness, see, that's why meekness is not weak. It's strength to do the right thing. It's strength to be selfless. Does that make sense? Uh, go on. There's just too many. Uh, I'm going to read a couple more. Second Timothy 2.25. Uh, Paul's writing to this young pastor, and he's trying to teach him about how to teach others what it means to be like Christ. And he says this, <clears throat> gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. See, there's not this idea of meekness is just roll over me, okay? So meekness isn't a roll over me, but actually you can be meek in your standing firm in the truth about who God is and the gospel. So this idea of meek is weak isn't true. Meek is the strength to be selfless. There's nothing more selfless than embracing the awkward of sharing something that you believe to be true with someone who is against you. There's nothing more meek than that. And that's why, that's why strength, meekness is not weakness, it's strength. Titus 3.2 says this, they, and, and, and really this is the idea of the believers, must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. And, and quite frankly, this is a good idea for people, even if you're not a believer or not. But hey, uh, like I said, I want to let you know if you're not someone who follows Christ, where you don't have to believe and where you don't have to. And then for those of us who are believers, what are the non-negotiables? This is a non-negotiable. We must not slander and avoid quarreling. Instead, we should be what? Gentle. There's that word again, that Greek word, and show true humility to everyone. So uh, no one demonstrated this kind of meekness and engaged commitment of forgiven restoration like Jesus. And one of what I think is the best examples of, of Jesus displaying this is found in Luke's account of the life of Jesus. And this is, a, this is a lot, but I just, 
I want to do less preaching and I want to tell you a little bit more about Jesus, if that's okay. And and this is really good. We have to read this in Luke chapter 7. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, it'll be up on the screen. I couldn't fit it on the outline, so you're just going to have to follow with me. But if you're going to understand that meekness is not weakness, but strength to be selfless, and it's a heart, and it's a commitment to engage in forgiveness and restoration, you have to understand Jesus. Because our understanding of forgiveness and restoration sometimes doesn't align with his, and sometimes we have to go back and we have to look at how Jesus lived and how he acted. And so I just want to bring one example. I think it's a really, really great example, and I want to share it with you. Hopefully you would, be, uh, you, you would get the sense of what I'm trying to communicate. Luke 7 verse 36 <clears throat> starts this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. And so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. If you didn't think that was weird, then... uh, What you you find next, uh, the people who are watching definitely felt it was weird. And and Jesus Jesus knew this. And so verse 40, it says, Jesus answered, uh, oh, uh, verse 39, let's go back. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. (laughs) And then Jesus answered his thoughts and said, Simon, he said to, to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. <laughs> and uh, if, if Jesus ever comes to you and says, I have something to say to you, that's kind of like your parents going, Phil, yes, come here right now. What? I want to talk to you. <laughs> so I can imagine, uh, but, but Jesus was meek, so it probably wasn't like that. It was probably like, hey, I have something to tell you. And so Simon said, go ahead, teacher. Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to another. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debt. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Captain Obvious, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, yeah, listen to this. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little only shows little love. And Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said amongst themselves, Who is this man 
that he goes around forgiving sins. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith, your belief, your trust in me, in who I am, in my gospel, that's what that means, saved you. Go in peace. Now, if you haven't been with us for the past few weeks, it's, it's kind of hard to track maybe where we've, where we've gone. Remember we, we said in week one, blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. And we said that the poor in spirit are what? Are those who are desperate for God and who are desperately aware of their lack of ability to save themselves. You know, I don't know about you, when I see this, see the story of this woman, I see someone who is recognizably desperate for Jesus. And then last week we talked about blessed are those who mourn, right? Who mourn over their state of sin, of brokenness in their lives. And here we have a woman who is mourning, literally crying, because she understands the weight of her sin. And she knows who has the power to save her from it. And so in the poorness of her spirit, in the mourning of her heart, is displayed not a weakness, but a meekness. To defy the cultural understandings of what it means for a woman to approach a man, to, to, to come into this Pharisee's home as a sinner despised, known in her community for bringing shame and for bringing, uh, uh, just, just bringing shame and, and disreputability to, to, the, to the area. And she walks into this place. She is not weak, but she is meek. And for it, Jesus would say, You've inherited the land. Now, now real quick, I, I don't have much time, and you can Google this, but uh, the idea of inherit the land is, is simply this. Jesus was an Israelite speaking to Israelites. So when, when Jesus said, those who are meek will inherit the earth, it's a word, sometimes in other translations, it's land. And if you're an Israelite, you knew what Jesus was saying because all your life you've heard about the promise Land, thank you. The land, about a land. And you've been desiring a Messiah who will help you take back the land, right? And then Jesus came and he said, hey, I'm the Messiah. And they're like, yeah, we're gonna get our land back. And Jesus said, yeah, it's gonna be a land. In fact, it's gonna be a kingdom. And they're like, yeah. And then they're like, but it's not the kingdom that you're thinking of. And they're like, no. (laughs) And Jesus taught about this kingdom. And so when Jesus says, that they meek will inherit the land, he's saying the same thing he said all over and again, just in a different way. If you want to be part of my kingdom, if you want to be my follower, if you want to know who's in, you have to be meek. And don't think that meek is weak. Meek is strength to be selfless. So the big question is how in the world can we be meek? That's understanding the text. And how do we get to living this out in everyday life? Well, the bad news is you can't. You can't do it. You can't be selfless. You can try, but really, you're trying to be something that you're not, which is not selfless. It's actually self-serving because you're trying to be something that you're not because you want to appear to be something so you could be thought of as something that you're not. And that's called being a hypocrite. You can't. I know it. It's in our nature, in my nature, to be people who are not selfless and who are not forgiving, right? I see this in my kids. Someone hits someone, and someone says sorry, and I say, say forgive. No, right? This is like, I didn't even teach that to them. Where did it come from? 
It was within them, right? I, I sit with adults. I mean, goodness gracious. I remember one adult in, in the ministry setting I was at many, many years ago now. But uh, there was this lady who had this beef. I found out and working, both of these people were working with me in this ministry. They had beef with each other. And I, and I was wondering why it was so awkward. And finally, I sat down with this one lady and I said, hey, I heard you have some beef with her. And she goes, this, and this lady is twice, she's as old as my mother. And, I, and she goes, don't you dare make me try to forgive her. I'm like, excuse me? It's like, I know what you're doing. Uh, the other pastors have tried. It's just not going to happen. We've decided to just, you know, just be, be cordial about it. And I'm like, well, what? That's the weak thing to do. Because that's easy. Can't you be meek? That requires strength because meek is not weak. Meek is the strength to be selfless, right? So I know this about us. It's not in us to be selfless. It's not in us to be forgiving, Right? It's not in our nature to be non-assertive or to be not vengeful, right? I mean, everything in it. I mean, we got shows, bully beat down, right? We're like, yeah, beat the bully down. That's what it's all about. Get vengeance. And our, our culture prides ourselves in the ability to be assertive. You got to get what you want. Take what you want. If you want it, you should take it. If you don't want it, then you just make excuses, right? And I saw a little meme. I got this cousin who makes all these self-help memes. I want to slap them over the internet. But you know, this is just what we think. Like, you got to be assertive. You got to take what you want. It's not in us to be selfless. And the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Christians in Galatians writes this. Look, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, Lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and just in case I forgot something, and other things like it. Let me tell you, again, as I have said before, listen to this. Hear Paul and the echoes of Jesus' teaching. As I have said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul is using a, the same kind of language, this kingdom of God, that Jesus often used when he was teaching about who are the kind of people that are blessed and defines for us who are not the inheritors of the kingdom of God, the people who are not blessed. Now, this isn't any way different from how Jesus taught. In fact, many biblical commentators would say that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was a radical manifesto of who are the people that are in, as well as those who are not part of God's kingdom. So, if the bad news is that we cannot be meek on our own, there has to be meek on our own, there has to be some good news, right, Phil? Right? You're just not going to end there and say good luck, right? No. In fact, we just keep on reading on. Galatians 5, 22, it says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and guess, guess what else is in there? Gentleness. It's that same, the same Greek word. And self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Those of us who are living by the Spirit have nailed, have nailed, have done not the weak thing, but have done the strong thing of being what? 
selfless. See, meek is not weak. Meek is the strength to be selfless. So we grow in meekness as we submit our lives to Jesus, who gives us the spirit. Remember, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be what? Comforted. And remember what we learned last week? Who is the comforter? The Holy Spirit, right? And so, and we know this, we know this. When you repent, and when you turn from your living life your way, and you turn to God, and you live life his way, when you say, God, I'm sorry for my sins, and I'm going to live life your way, and I'm going to trust in you that you're going to save me, and you're going to help me live life with a greater purpose and a greater mission. When you do that, when you turn your life, and you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and that he was rose again from the dead, when you believe that, when you say, yes, I want to follow you, I want to give my life to you, here's the good news. Here's the good news. You get God's spirit. You have his spirit. God gives you his spirit. And so we can live by the Spirit, and we can live by what He wants us to do, and, 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 and we, can, we, can, we can do this, and, and we grow in meekness as we submit our lives to the Lord and live by His Spirit. Now, that's, it. that's a good truth, but the, the obvious question sometimes people have is, well, is there any way to ga- gauge whether or not we're living in meekness by the Spirit? Because, you know, Phil, I, I'm a follower of Christ, but I, I mean... <laughs> As you're reading those things of the flesh, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to go, well, maybe I'm not meek. And, or, or am I? Or am I just kidding myself? Is there, is there kind of a way to maybe gauge whether or not I'm meek? Uh, I like what one, one, as I was doing this study over the Sermon on Mount, I ran to this one Bible commentator, uh, Kent Hughes. He did an extensive, uh, really great, if you want to pick up something on the Sermon on the Mount by Kent Hughes, it's called Sermon on the Mount. Um, <coughs> you pick it up. But I just want to read what he says because I think it's just really, really good. He's a lot wiser than me. And he did some extensive explanation of the Sermon on the Mount. And he had to say this about the warning signs of living a life in the flesh rather than in the spirit, specifically in regards to meekness. And this is what he said. He said, these are the warning signs of whether you're not living in in the spirit or not. And he goes, one, if you have harshness, harshness in your life. If you are mean in your treatment of others, or if there is an absence of gentleness in your treatment of others, if this is you, you're probably not living meek. If there's harshness in your life. Second one is this. He writes grasping. And he says, if you make sure you always get your first. If numero uno is, is the subtle driving force in your life, it's about me. If you care little about how your actions affect others, Beware, you might be lacking meekness. You might not be living in the spirit, living in the flesh. He also says vengeful. If you are known as someone never to cross, (laughs) if you always get your pound of flesh, be on your guard. Because Jesus was silent like a lamb gone to slaughter. He did not utter one word. He who was without sin was accused of sin, yet did not take vengeance on his own. Right? Uncontrolled. If rage fills your soul, and Lord help me, this is me. If rage fills your soul so that life is a series of explosions occasioned by the fools in your life, you know if you're uncontrolled. People who are uncontrolled don't know it. But they say this a lot. Everyone's an idiot. <laughs> okay? So if you say that, if you find yourself saying, everyone's an idiot, no one's smart, everyone's dumb, you might be living an uncontrolled life. You might not be living by the Spirit. 
You need to watch out. And then finish his quote. He says this, again, this is not to suggest you're not a Christian if you fall into these sins, but rather to point out that if they are a part of your persona, if you are self if you're a self-satisfied Christian who thinks that the lack of gentleness and meekness is just you and people have to get used to it, if you are not repentant, you're probably not a Christian. Now, these are his words, not mine. But I am reading them, so. <laughs> now, <clears throat> if that all sounds too much to bear, let me just close with something that Jesus said, I think is really important. In Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, meek, preos, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, some of you are familiar with what a yoke is. It looks like this, um, right? And a yoke is what holds two, in these times, uh, more oxen together while they pulled their plow that was guided by their master, right? And we got kind of another picture maybe of what it kind of looks like, right? So this is kind of what it looks like. You got this master in the back telling them where to go, you know, with the, with the, 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 the yoke, and, and often what would happen in this situation is, uh, the interesting thing is that more often than not, an older, a master would put an older, experienced ox, right? And would yoke them with a rookie, with a young ox. And not just to simply help this rookie learn what it means to, to bear this yoke and plow effectively and do their job well. But primarily, it was to teach this young ox how to listen to the direction of the master. Because the master would give the instruction to stop. And the young, the young ox was just like, ah, I'm going for it. And then the old ox would be like, hold on a minute. Boom. <laughs> it just, and, then the, and then the master would say, well, we need to turn left here. And the young ox was like, no, I want to go there. And then the old ox would just be like, oh, no, you're not, buddy. Here we go. Right? That's kind of the, kind of the picture, right? And so, we learn to be meek. Listen, this idea of being meek is, is, is really tough. It's not in us, and how do we learn it? There's hope. We can learn to be meek by being yoked to Christ, surrendering our lives to his model of meekness, being committed to engaging your life in forgiveness, restoration, and forbearance, for living a life for for. For living in strength, not in weakness. For living for the hard thing, not necessarily the easy thing, right? We can do, with God's help, we can do this as we learn from him and as we learn about who Jesus is and what he's done and how we should live. We learn to be meek by being yoked to Christ and surrendering our lives to him and begin living life according to the master's direction, right? This is why it's so important for you to read your Bible. Because if you don't read the manual, you can't complain when things don't go right. And so you just need to, you need to get in this. But here's this idea of meekness. Blessed are the meek, right? They inherit the earth. Meekness is not weak. 
Meekness is strength to be selfless, to be committed to an engaged life of forgiveness and restoration. So with that in mind, let's just read what Jesus had to say again, and then I'll, I'll close this in prayer. Matthew 5, verse 4 to 5, 1 through 4. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth.